0: A visit to the potter's house provided Jeremiah with a powerful picture of what the Lord was doing with his beloved people. The prophet saw the potter working at his wheel. The clay vessel in the potter's hand spoiled and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the Lord explained to Jeremiah, behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. After a visit to the potter's house, Jeremiah would never forget, nor should we, that God is the potter and we are his clay, whom he created in his image from the dust of the earth. Do you need a visit to the potter's house? I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good.
1: God is always up to something good, and sometimes he's up to something new. Hello, welcome to this Tuesday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. I'm Brian Davis. Thanks so much for making us part of your day. Well, Jeremiah was called by God to be a prophet to the Jewish people at the age of 21. He was tough, yet tender. Some have even called him the weeping prophet. Part of his message to Israel was that God would one day do a brand new thing for his chosen people. Ron takes us to the book of Jeremiah next, as he moves ahead in his teaching series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Subscribe to the podcast at Spotify, at Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Now, here's Ron with today's Something Good radio message, Jeremiah, A New Covenant.
0: God loves to start new things. Did you know that? (laughs) Now, if you're here this morning and you're one of these people that kind of likes things the way they are, you know, you may be one of those people who say, you know, we've always done it this way in our house or in our church or in our business. Well, I'm just going to prepare you ahead of time that God might upset your comfort zone because God loves to do new things. I know that is true because when I search the Scriptures for the word new, uh, I'm amazed at the number of times that God is up to something new. Now, we could spend all day here surveying the Scriptures of all the passages that talk about God doing something new, but I'm going to limit it to uh, three or four verses in a previous major prophet we studied last week, it's, it's Isaiah. Let's go back and retrieve some of the verses from there. For example, Isaiah 40 and verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. You need new strength today? Uh, God is up to something new, and he wants to give you some new strength. Isaiah 41 and verse 15, behold, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them, and you shall make the hills like chaff about Isaiah 42 and verse 9? Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And then one more, Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Yeah, God loves to do New things. Even Jesus's ministry, uh, well, there was something new and something refreshing about it. Uh, some people embraced the newness, while others did not. But you may remember that uh, Jesus spoke about pouring new wine into new wine skins. Do you remember that in Mark chapter two? He also gave his disciples a new commandment to love one another. And then on the night before he was crucified, he gathered with his disciples in an upper room, and he offered them a new covenant in my blood. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you need God to do something new in your life, maybe to refresh your marriage, or your relationship with your kids, or you, you, just, you just need something new to come along. Uh, the Apostle Paul says a follower of Jesus Christ is a new creation, uh, where the old has gone and the new has come. I love that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And then even the writer of Hebrews speaks of, quote, a new and living way found in Jesus Christ. God loves to do new things. We sang earlier that God is up to something good, and he is, and I love that idea, but he's also up to something new, and the something new that he is up to is something good. Just remember that. Now, the prophet Jeremiah also mentioned a time when God was up to something new. He was doing something new. And he writes in Jeremiah 31, in verse 31, behold, and by the way, that word behold is like an exclamation point in the Hebrew. Behold, it's there to get your attention. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Why was the Lord making a new covenant with his chosen people? Well, it will take some time as we study through the book of Jeremiah to, uh, uh, to explain that. And that's our next stop on the ultimate road trip through the Bible, is is the book of Jeremiah. But an equally important question to why was God, you know, bringing about a new covenant for his people Israel, an equally important question is this, are you ready for God to do something new in your life? If you are, say amen. amen. Okay, good, good. We're gonna have a good time together this morning then because he loves to do new things. Let's get to know Jeremiah the prophet and the first of two books that are attributed to his human authorship under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. One is Jeremiah, the book uh, uh, that is his namesake. The other is the book of Lamentations, and we'll get to that next time. But Jeremiah the prophet grew up in a small village northeast of Jerusalem called Anathoth. Uh, His father, we're told in Scripture, is named Hilkiah, And Hilkiah was a priest, and so we might say uh, in our language that Jeremiah grew up in a pastor's home or a priest's home. Some people believe that Hilkiah was the same Hilkiah the priest, the high priest, who discovered God's law uh, during Josiah's reign. Remember that? Young Josiah the king, we studied about him. He was one of the last five kings of Israel when we studied the kings and the chronicles. He was a good king. He assumed the throne at the age of eight. And somewhere in his teens, he sent a group of people to the temple to clean it up because it was in disrepair. And the Bible tells us in 2 Kings 22 that Hilkiah, the high priest, discovered the law of God, brought it to Josiah, read it in his presence, and that began the reforms of Josiah that unfortunately only lasted during his reign. But it was, it was Hilkiah, the high priest. Some people think the same Hilkiah that discovered the law of God was Jeremiah's father. If that is true, it is a beautiful example of a father's influence in his son's life. And this might also explain why Jeremiah the prophet rebuked the people for breaking God's covenant and was later disappointed for why the reforms of Josiah didn't last into uh, subsequent generations. Uh, Whatever the case, Jeremiah received his religious training Uh, the good old-fashioned way, at an early age in his own home, uh, at his father's knee. Jeremiah served the Lord and the southern kingdom before, during, and after the Babylonian captivity. And that's important for you to keep in mind. His ministry stretched over four decades from about 627 B.C. to 585 B.C. Keep in mind that 586 B.C. is the date when the Babylonians finally besieged the city of Jerusalem and took the Hebrews into captivity for 70 years. Um, uh, Jeremiah's ministry happened during the last, the reigns of the last five kings of Judah or the southern kingdom. And 2 Kings 22 to 25 provides that historical setting for Jeremiah's ministry leading up to the fall of Jerusalem. It's important to get the historical context of uh, Jeremiah, so you understand why God sent this prophet to the southern kingdom. One scholar says Jeremiah was the prophet of Judah, uh, was, was, the prophet, was the prophet of Judah's midnight hour. And it was that, it was the midnight hour of the southern kingdom. Uh, Josiah was a good king, but the kings after him, most of them were bad kings and it led up to the Babylonian captivity. The northern kingdom had already been uh, taken away by the Assyrians, but now the Lord was to discipline his wayward people uh, with the uh, ruthless Babylonians, and Jeremiah was the one bringing uh, the messages to the people and warning them about the impending judgment. Unlike Isaiah, who probably began his ministry in uh, the middle part of his life forward, Jeremiah received the call of God as a youth, just as a young lad. And he began his ministry around the age of 21. Chapter 1 begins with Jeremiah's call. And it begins with what I would call one of the strongest pro-life messages found in the Scriptures. Listen to this in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations, the Lord says to young Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, as uh, you might expect if you knew the culture of the day, resisted the Lord's call by saying, I'm only a youth. (laughs) Reminds me when the, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, let no one despise your youth. Let nobody put you down in ministry because, oh, you're just too young to do things like this. But in the culture of that day, uh, a young man's ministry would not have any effect until he became of age. And, and Jeremiah knew this. And so he says, Lord, I, I, I can't follow your leadership. I, I'm only a youth. Uh, he would not be taken seriously uh, before he became of age. But here we have an example from the Lord and how his call upon Jeremiah's life preempted the cultural norm. And the Lord said, no, Jeremiah, you're my guy. You're my young guy. And I always love it when young people seize the call of God in their life and they don't let go. Sometimes the parents are saying, no, 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 you've got your whole life in front of you. No, if you're a young person or you have a young person in your house and they're beginning to sense the call of God, uh, water that like a plant, you know, until it really begins to grow up in that young man's heart. Don't go away,
1: we're only about halfway through today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Today's teaching is part of Ron's series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible.
0: Hello friend, I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. All scripture is profitable for teaching and reproof. But let's face it, God gave us a lot of scripture. 66 books and more than 600,000 words, and it can sometimes be a little overwhelming to read. That's why I wrote my new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, to help you navigate your way through the highways and byways of God's Word and see how it all fits together so brilliantly, how every path, every passage, and every page points to Jesus, who is the Christ. The book comes in two volumes, Volume one covers the 39 books of the Old Testament, while volume two takes you through each of the 27 New Testament books. Both are now available to order, and I'd love to send them to you today. Here's Brian with details.
1: The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, volume one and two can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of something good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 Digital Library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, there are so many good books published every year. Why should someone buy the ultimate road trip through the Bible? And who did you have in mind when you wrote these literary travel
0: guides through the Old and New Testaments? You know, Brian, your questions make me think of the words of wise Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 12. Of the making of many books, he writes, there is no end. And oh, how true that is. For what it's worth, as a Bible teaching pastor for more than 30 years, the ultimate road trip through the Bible is my way of helping people understand the overall story of Scripture and how all 66 books of the Bible fit together into a unified work of the Holy Spirit. I wrote with all kinds of people in mind, starting with the serious Bible student, even those who teach the Bible. I'm thinking of pastors, Sunday school teachers, and small group Bible study leaders who might use these two volumes in their preparation. But I also wrote for the person who is just getting acquainted with the Bible, which we all know is the best-selling book of all time. Brian, you can read The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible from beginning to end like any other book, or place it in your Bible study toolbox. I know that if you're a lifelong learner of God's Word as I am, you will return to the ultimate road trip through the Bible repeatedly. As companions to your personal Bible study, these books will always help you see the big picture before you dive into the details of any book of the Bible.
1: That's why I'll be ordering my own copy, Pastor Ron. We're so glad you decided to share this important book with us. And you can get your copy today by going to somethinggoodradio.org. Both volumes of this great resource are yours as our way of saying thanks when you make a gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. Jeremiah was a soft-hearted man, but he also possessed a certain inner strength that made him an ideal choice to take God's message to the nation of Israel. With the rest of today's Something Good radio message, Jeremiah, A New Covenant. Here once again is Dr. Ron Jones.
0: Eventually the Lord reassured Jeremiah with his presence. He says, I'm gonna go with you. And he said to Jeremiah, I'm gonna put words in your mouth, my words in your mouth. Because Jeremiah not only said, I'm only a youth, I'm too young for this. He says, but I'm not eloquent either. Sounded a little bit like Moses in that way with excuse after excuse after excuse. But Jeremiah eventually followed the call of God. His temperament is worth mentioning as well. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, the weeping prophet for his many tears that he shed over the spiritual demise of God's people. The messages of impending judgment God told him to deliver broke his heart. This young young lad with a tender heart broken over the news of impending judgment that would come upon God's people. For example, in chapter 9 and verse 1, he writes, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And then in chapter 13 and verse 17... Um, but if you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Uh, Jeremiah even wrote an entire book that was full of his lamentations. In fact, that's the name of it. We'll get to it next week in our next stop on the ultimate road trip through the Bible, the book of Lamentations, Uh, Chapter 1 and verse 16, he says, For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to retrieve my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. One scholar describes Jeremiah as a man of feminine tenderness with masculine strength. Don't you love that? He He was tender and tough at the same time. Uh, That's a great definition of masculinity. He wasn't the kind of man's man that could never shed a tear. But he wasn't so sensitive that he couldn't toughen up when he needed to. And in that way, he is perhaps more like Jesus than any other prophet in the Bible. The cross required of Jesus both physical and emotional strength. Just think about that. The physical and emotional strength as as he made his way to the cross. But we know that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He he wept over the news of his friend Lazarus' death. In fact, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He was tough enough to go to the cross and endure the beatings, but he was tender enough to to shed a tear over Jerusalem, uh, his wayward, wayward people. Likewise, though tearful and tender and sensitive by nature, Jeremiah also endured a lot of opposition during his ministry. Oh, did he face opposition. Uh, They physically beat him. At one time, they imprisoned him. He was tough. He was tender at the same time. By the way, husbands, your wife needs a man who is both tough and tender. A man who is tough enough to bear the burdens of the family, but tender enough to shed a tear when it's necessary. And thus, Jesus and Jeremiah are examples of real men and real prophets who cry. Don't ever forget that. I remember years ago, I was in Houston, Texas. It was a year or two before I actually went into the ministry myself, vocationally. And I was attending a church there in Houston, Texas. They had a Sunday night service. I think I was serving as a deacon at the time, and I was, it was, I was scheduled to, to pray over the offering that night, and I was backstage with the team that was going to come lead worship. and There was a guest speaker that day. I don't exactly remember his sermon, but I remember his title, Where Are the Tears? He was an evangelist. And his evangelistic message, Where are the tears? Where are the tears like Jeremiah whose heart broke and wept over the wickedness of the people, and the judgment of God that was coming. I ask today, where are the tears in today's pulpits? Where are the tears among God's people as we look out over our own country, the United States of America, and see us drifting away from our founding principles, which are rooted in the pages of Scripture? Where are the tears? Let's learn from Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was also a creative communicator. And as a communicator myself, I I, I love this part of his ministry. He he uses uh, physical object lessons... to to communicate his spiritual lessons. Uh, The first one appears in chapter one. Uh, It's an almond branch that uh, just simply pictured God watching over his word to perform it. And then a few verses later, a boiling pot that was facing from the north. Uh, This was to signify uh, and portray the northern disaster the Almighty would let loose on humanity. And and then in uh, chapter 13, very interesting, uh, object lesson here. The Lord told uh, Jeremiah to go purchase uh, a loincloth and wear it. In our vernacular, he'd say, go buy some Calvin Klein underwear and I want you to wear it, but never wash it. <laughs> Can you imagine? Wear your underwear, but never wash it. And then later God told the prophet to take the soiled uh, loincloth and hide it in the cleft of the rock near the Euphrates River. All right? Just, just you know, take it. You never washed it. Put it in the cleft of the rock. And then later, he told him to come back and pull out the loincloth. And you can imagine, by now, it was ruined. The Lord said it was good for nothing. And the Lord explained the object lesson uh, in chapter 13, beginning in verse eight. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah said. Thus says the Lord, even so will I spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, listen to this, which is good for nothing. Wow, what hard words from the Lord. He goes on to say, For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory, but they would not listen. Every time the people of Israel hardened their hearts against God and they would not listen to them, he sent them a prophet, one of those uh, holy firebrands to bring a message You know, turn, repent, run back to me, or the consequences of your disobedience will fall upon you.
1: Thanks so much for being here for today's Something Good Radio message, Jeremiah, A New Covenant. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to hear any of Dr. Ron Jones' messages on demand or to contact us for prayer. That's somethinggoodradio.org.
0: Now, God doesn't get amnesia. An omniscient God doesn't forget, but he makes a decision never to bring it up again in our presence. When he forgives us, he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west, puts it in a place that even if he wanted to dig it out and bring it up again, he can't remember where he put it, right? He chooses to remember no more.
1: That's next time in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Jeremiah, a new covenant. Join us then for Something Good for Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio. I'm Brian Davis. God bless and thanks for listening.